Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the deadly boys of What Culture, Michael Hanflot and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, Smackdown, the show formerly known as NXT, but... Oh! Hey, reviews premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. But a quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite and a show stage that was trending towards what we were hoping it was going to be, and then kind of a little bit went off the rails, but a very eventful show nonetheless. Yeah, I would describe this succinctly as an eight out of 10 show when I was expecting like a 9.9. Yeah, an hour in, I thought it was. Yes, certainly. Then there was a big lull, a big depressing, unwelcome lull before the main event that I thought was unbelievable. Uh, I think the expectations made this, the vibe of the experience of watching this show worse than some dynamites that content-wise couldn't match some of the stuff on this. Oh, yeah. I was saying a pamphlet before as well, like, if you look at the resources and the expectations involved, I was probably more impressed by the Rampage Battle of the Belt special than I was with this, looking at it on paper. Mm. This is a better show because of the highs. But, yeah, there's just some things that really made me cross. One thing that really, <laughs> really made me cross to the point where I was just a little bit angry. Yeah, I can't really disagree too much with that. There was a return on this show that we're going to get to, which I'm really excited to talk about, but reminded me very much of a period in Dynamite's history where it was such a show of two halves, and part of that first hour would always be that specific pop to that specific wrestler, and this one felt very much like that. I I I wasn't as high on the main event, so it was easy for me to like divvy this up into, ah, this just second hour just didn't really hit for me, in the way that, as you say, the first hour was giving you the, oh my God, not only have they promoted this card that cannot fail, it's not failing. Mm. Like, it's an exciting thing. And I like, I never, it's a bit like, I'm finding this now. We'll get to this a bit in the main event, but like there's been a few cases where like an enormous match, whether it be because of the gimmick, the stipulation of the people involved has been promoted for a dynamite. And then we do talk about, oh, will, will the adverts affect it? Or will the timing out of the show affect it? And then it does, right? I would never want them to stop trying that for television ever. Like I, I, a lot of it's pay-per-view caliber and a lot of it would fit oh, yeah. where it won't be broken up on a pay-per-view, but I never want them to stop trying because it's a cool thing. Like raise the bar, watch a bit of television. 
but I just really want them to get it right. Like, just bang right once, 100% of the time. Like, Omega, Danielson, which I go back to for a lot of different reference points, feels like one of the times they got it bang right. Like, it wasn't a cold open, it was a goddamn white hot open, but it's like straight to the action. It's Grand Slam, this is huge, and we're going to give it everything we possibly can to make it. It didn't matter that it opened the show, it was just special. Mm. And this, they get it wrong more than they get it right when they go big on television, I think. Yeah, I found myself, like... Physically infuriated, and that's such a mark thing to say. I don't care though. We care though. We care. Yeah, that's, I, think, like I, it, I do so. care a lot, and I want it to be great, and I want my expectations to be delivered upon with my escapist thing of choice, which I would still escape into were I not working here. And I felt myself going off oh, for fuck's sake <laughs> when spoiler alert for the rest of the podcast, Excalibur got cut off because they'd obviously made a production snafu where they'd announced something they hadn't yet built on the TV show, and they'd got it in the wrong place. I don't know what was going on. I was like, how are you still making these mistakes four years in? You obviously have too much content for one show, so just drop something. Christ. Mm. I felt bad and good emotions to a very intense degree watching the show, put yeah, it that way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's dive straight into it, because that's what they did on Dynamite. No messing about. Show opens. How did it sound at the opening? Boom, let's go ignite. Some of our cock in a flash of light. Boom. 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 Dynamite. You know what that means? I miss you Wednesdays. Fridays just ain't the same for this old okie. Wild thing. <laughs> you made my cock sing. Uh, and then we have John Boxley versus Hangman Page. Uh, thank you, yeah. Uh, and it's gone. <laughs> I'm taking back. If anyone from AW is listening, that wasn't actually the live audio from the show, just to, just to cover it. Yeah, no, there's yeah. no copyright. Legally there. Yep. <laughs> Scarlet points out on commentary. It's the first time in 85 days that Hangman Page has wrestled. Imagine uh, if Sid like performed the entire start of Wrestle Kingdom when we got popped by TV. I shy, like that. That was perfect, that rendition. <laughs> Nicking our stuff. Um, <laughs> it's elevated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was it? It was that and uh, Togi Makabe's music, wasn't it? Where, like, if you had it on New Japan World, they didn't have the rights, and the text would come up saying, like, like non-licensed music, whatever, but, like, the volume was all to cox, even yeah. watching it. And I was just like, what kind of... Like, <laughs> Makabe's here, I can't hear you. I'm trying to hear Immigrant Song in the style of Jim Ross. <laughs> I used to do wobble up. Oh, oh, oh. I still remember when he did the na na hey hey song. No, no. No, no, no. Hey, goodbye. Uh, anyway, because uh, <laughs> you're you're damn fool. You're a damn fool. Anyway, let's get to the bloody dynamite review. This impenetrable banter. Moxley Page starts off with. A, <laughs> I mean, effectively, this this match descended into a lariat. Off, I think is the best way to describe oh it. Oh my god! It started off with, uh, yeah, just a brawl straight away, slugfest. They're trying to take each other's heads off with every shot. Um, Page uh, gets. Pulled off and uh, pulled off Moxley. Sorry, Page. The referee stopped Page from attacking John Moxley. Jerked him off. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pathetic. Uh, <laughs> Moxley 
goes with the lariat on Hangman Page. And then you get the chop, forearms, etc., etc. Uh, Moxley sets up Page in the corner, rakes the back with his hands, bites it. Um, goes to the arm bar. Um, can't get it, though. German suplexes. Again, uh, Moxie goes to the lariat. Page turns into an exploder. Page goes to the bookshot, uh, but Moxie sends him into the guardrail. Every bump for Hangman Page. I was like, oh, God, that's the end of his career. He sold a- this so magnificently. Uh, Page comes back on the floor, hits a lariat out there, uh, but then Moxley hits one in the ring that turns him inside out for a nice two count. Um, it goes to the outside. Page hits that big moonsault off the top, but again, lands it, and then his head hits the railing, and I'm like... Yep, that's the end of his career. The impact on that. Oh. Um, goes to the bookshot in the ring. Uh, Moxie grabs him, though, hits him with a death rider. Page kicks out. They do the hammer and anvil elbows. Puts him in a bulldog choke. Hits like a stalling pile driver. Page kicks out at one. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the crowd are very much behind Hangman Page, so Moxley flips him off, puts in this, puts him in a sleeper. Um, Page looks like he's just fading on his feet. Um, I thought this was a finish. Yeah, I thought he was going out. It was. Yeah. I was so on the hook by this point. Mox goes for another pile driver. Page counters that into the dead eye, uh, and Moxley fires back after no selling that. Well, he he sort of no sells it. Hits a curb stomp and then immediately collapses. Both men are down. We almost get a, a 10 count for that. They get back up, trade strikes, uh, and then Page hits a lariat, buckshot lariat, one, two, three. Post-match, the doctor's checking on Moxley in the ring. He doesn't know where he is. He has to be helped to the back. Hangman Page is chuffed that he's won, but obviously he has to go He had to go to a very dark place to go there, and he's there's some element of concern for his opponent that he was attempting to murder in this match. Some people criticised me for pretentious analysis, but I thought this was such an absolutely great exploration of masculinity and how it was articulated between the two opponents. This was genuinely fantastic. Like, the, f- the Lariat stuff in this match told such a great story. Page trying to prove that, yes, he's a different kind of a man, he's a more sensitive man, but he's an equally violent and defiant man. So that was laced in every single one of his lariats. Moxley just wanted to maim him again because that is what he gets paid to do and that's what he loves to do. And they weren't just chucking them at each other with just incredible viciousness, which they had to do to get the final beat of this chapter of the story over with the concussion or the head injury. The way they evaded them as well, because it's like, right, I want to, I don't want to, I'll eat a forearm. I'm not eating a lariat. We've seen that one lucky or unlucky shot can really just sort of Mm -hmm. floor them. So I thought they played. With the with the risk factor of the reversals and the actual executions as well, like it was fraught with danger. This it was sold as if they were really, really playing a dangerous game in that ring, and they weren't because they're so good at mm-hmm. this. Um, I thought everything built around every last lariat, whether connected or not, was just absolutely magnificent. Um, the aerials from Page just—they looked like he's just collisions. Actual collisions, not flying high fives, but actual goddamn collisions. Um, No, this match was masterful in how it was executed. And they had to sell the head injury stuff in a way that didn't feel remotely melodramatic. It had to be so naturalistic. And it's not just anyone who is selling a head injury. It's John Moxley, the hardest guy in the entire industry, or certainly the company, as he is presented as a character in that fictional world. I thought this was unbelievable. It was so noisy. It was so dramatic. Um, I described it in my review, which is basically, this is a transcript of Mm. whatculture.com slash WWE. A lot of people 
watched Wrestle Kingdom and thought, ah, we want some of that in AEW, but we didn't get the unbelievable scale of the production, nor did we get that version of Kenny Omega. This was a G1 match in terms of how the, the psychological mastery of it, the physicality of it, um, the fact that it was urgent as well, and just the character work from both men I thought was unbelievable. I would classify this as <clears throat> perfect, from a selling point of view especially, this is what so many of the miserable old bastard grifters <laughs> cannot fault from a, from a selling point of view. Yes. Up until something that they would find fault with, which would be the dead-eye brief instinctive fire-up from John Moxley, and that was my favourite bit of the whole match. Yeah. Screw them. Like, because both work. Both absolutely work. They were doing proper old-fashioned selling that the worst of those people, you know, I'm referencing, would love and then this kind of like modernized way to sell the art of battle. In a puro influenced way. It was not remotely lost in that moment. And that spot, by the way, was incredible. One of Hangman Page's most vicious maneuvers being used in kind of a snap counter was amazing. That sort of stuff that like, I always think of the Janela one off the ladder at All In. Like, yes, the, one the Death Valley it. Driver. It takes like, oh, is that a Death Valley Driver? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. It was the book. It was the Dead Eye. The Dead Eye often takes like, so it's a bit like the one wing days. It takes so much setting up, but that's because the impact is so devastating yeah. that they're down for the count. This one, as a counter, is like, oh, I've got a reverse pod driver in my back pocket. You didn't see that coming, John. Oh, one nil. Like, one nil in a guy <laughs> with this death blow is incredible. And Moxley's cell was perfect afterwards. Um, I, there's two ways to sell a concussion. One is like when it's really serious and real and Hangman Page was flat out with his legs and arms looking terrifying. And the other was John Moxley's MMA type cell where the lights are on, but no one's home. And he's almost half back up on his feet again, trying to be fine. But the doctor's telling him, you're not fine, pal. There's two ways to sell a concussion and there's two ways to sell the impact of the concussion. And that's to Sidgwick's point about masculinity and about sensitivity. And Moxley's, which I loved, idea of, sorry, mate, like this is wrestling. This is what I come to work to do. Page is in the same industry, but he can't commit to feeling quite as yeah. vicious about it. To be able to set up a rematch where, and I, I cannot believe I didn't call this, but I don't mind that I didn't. We, the joke has been, when's Moxley going to get his holiday? When's he going to get his holiday? Now. Like, he's going to get the same break Hangman Page got, luckily as a work rather than as a shoot. And in the time where Page was away and Moxley was kind of just throwing his hands up and saying, tough tits, like, Moxley goes away and Page has to live with the damage he's done. Yeah. And all of that sets up the rematch. It's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's like really brilliant storytelling, both physical and mental. Did you watch The Road 2? Yes. They did this wonderful sit-down promo with Page, who's on incredible form as a promo. And he was drinking, like, a non-alcoholic beer, and he was like... It's actually quite nice. Like, he couldn't even <laughs> take the mix. He respects Moxley so much deep down. And then he was asked at the end, um, are you, like, anxious about the injury and the implications of wrestling again? And he went, no. Yeah. Like, mm. lying to himself. For them to subvert it, like, he is going to be worried about an injury, just not, not his. his own. Oh, that's great stuff. It's really good stuff. Uh, and, yeah, they get all the, the lower corner thing. Here's what we've got coming up on the show. No Jay Lethal match. Yeah, I'd, I'd welcome <laughs> I was, it now. I was going to say a little bit disappointed by it. <laughs> if it's Jared. Um, Only Jared. Yeah. <laughs> but so they've got you know everything that we've advertised, and we'll hear from MJF. So when Tony Schiavone follows this by being in the ring and saying, <sighs> it gives me no pleasure to introduce my next person, everyone and their mother goes, that's oh, MJF, it's the world champion, of course it is. And then Adam Cole's music hits. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'll throw in a second here, oh, my God, on behalf of my wife, who I'll show this to later on. Oh, yeah. Best wrestling she's watched since mm, Forbidden Door 2022. <laughs> Some Fatal 4-Way match. <laughs> so, obviously, Adam Cole gets you. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, walks, 
walks through, I mean, let's be honest, a sea, as Moxie did, a sea of Simon Miller side, which is always ridiculous <laughs> to see, uh, gets in the ring and says, uh, well, it's time for story time with Adam Cole, baby. Uh, and he says, story time with Tiffany Stratton. <laughs> So I've got some good news and bad news. The crowd on this, it was like such a, an up and down thing here because everyone's like, ah, Cole's back. Gets in there. Story time, we're Cole, baby. And he's like, good news and bad news. And like, ah, 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 oh, no. So he says, good news. And right throughout the good news, everyone's like, yeah, that's very nice. And, you know, you're welcome for the nice comments. And it's so nice that you've, you know, you know about how nice your life is, etc. But get to the bad news where you tell us you'll never wrestle again, basically. Because he talks about being appreciative of wrestling, his life in general. Being a professional wrestler is all he's ever wanted to be, and he's been able to do that in AEW more so than, than anywhere else and do so, do so much cool stuff, how much he's missed everything. Horrible, uh, visceral description of his health issues about, you know, being literally sick having after riding a car for a while or, dizzy, you know, dizzy spells or... I don't know one that, why this hit me the most is when he was talking about waking up in the middle of the night, walking around and... Brit being like, you're all right. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong with my body, which is just sounds like a terrifying experience. Talks about seeing doctors, getting tests done, uh, anxiety, um, not knowing well, what was going to happen to him. And yet he'd look on social media and read the messages and, you know, even stuff like, I don't care if Adam Cole never wrestles again, but I just hope he's okay. And how much that meant to him. Talks about wrestling being a give and take thing. And again, Everyone's going, this is wonderful, but you've said there's bad news. And he goes, now onto the bad news. And you go, right, here it comes. And he goes, bad news for the AW locker room. And everyone's like, oh, sh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He's back. He's, uh, he's not going anywhere. Kick his ass, Adam. <laughs> he's, uh, he isn't done yet. He's not going to stop until he's the absolute best. Uh, he hasn't even scratched the surface in AEW. Uh, a new Adam Cole's born, uh, and he's going to be uh, one day the top of the mountain. This was absolutely stunning because you know the format, and when they play with the format, they play with that format just enough as well. Um, you think, right, okay. In my mind's eye, I'm looking at the picture of, we hear from the Jericho Appreciation Society because um, Tony Schiavone had a running gag about systematic cheating, so he's obviously doesn't think very much of Chris Jericho. And we know he also hates MJF. Mm -hmm. But then he realized the expression on his face was a bit wink and nudge. Mm -hmm. So that was a wonderful moment. Adam Cole, this might be his best performance in AEW yeah. because... We'll get into a little bit, I guess, why he said what he said later on. But he was clearly ecstatic to be there. <laughs> and then he still got you on the hook for the bait and switch of, is he going to retire? Because yeah. that's how good he is. Mm -hmm. As he said, it was so heartfelt. And um, the actual content and delivery of his promo was masterful, not just for the journey he took people on, but for just, he's a baby face. This guy's a baby face. Everyone knows that he's the one guy you could get away with developing a parasocial relationship with yeah. because he deserves the love, even if it's one-sided. He's completely ignorant to it because that's his reputation within pro wrestling. Um, so it was all absolutely phenomenal. And I'll tell you what I loved about this from a sequencing point of view as it like pertains to the show itself. His visceral description of his real-life struggles, his terrible struggles with that head injury just reinforce the fiction of what we've just seen yeah. with, I might add, sensitive timing because he's back now. And I just thought that was so wonderful to put over the gravity of the fiction. The actual reality needed no gravity to put over because it was harrowing. And 
I like the idea that he has acknowledged that. It was good, not great. Those are the three words you can use to describe Adam Cole's AEW run thus far. The problem for me all along was that by the end of the NXT run, I think people were desperate to cheer him. Yeah. Absolutely desperate. He'd done everything he could as a heel. Everyone knew of his glowing reputation within wrestling. The fact that he just exudes this likability factor. And then he turned up in AEW as the same Adam Cole. That's not on AEW. Maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but ultimately, I think people were a little bit tired of that act. Mm. And he himself has recognized that. And he plans to do something new, which is really um, encouraging. Um, I don't know if he's going to stay babyface or if he couldn't exactly cut this as a heel. Because why would he? Mm. And I don't mind if he turns heel. I needed that babyface. I think he needed that. And everyone needed it. Um, I would book him as a babyface yeah. after mm. this. Especially who he got as world champion. That's it. Unbelievable. Yeah, he was absolutely unbelievable and just, it didn't need to be as good as this because it was just so nice to see him and the reassurance that he's back and yet it was masterful. This was, yeah, this was like big deal material cut by a guy that felt so much like a big deal that, like, especially because he was unannounced, this felt like a surprise new signing. Yeah. And Adam Cole has literally played that role in this company once already. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it felt like that all over again. But like this time we're getting him as this is all out 2021, but now we're getting the babyface version. Yeah. You so see, you can keep that first run and you can have this too. And what you've just said about MJF being champion was key to this, I think, because he's called his shot. Like he, it's AW, you don't get there straight away, no. but he wants a title shot, and the champion is a top heel in the industry. So time to be a babyface to work the ranks to get that. And as well Immediately I thought he could dethrone him. If yeah. he lives up to the potential of the babyface character, he could dethrone MJF at some point. It's like Triple H identified him as a massive star, like Vincent Mann's an idiot. But like <laughs> Triple H did and didn't turn him babyface and sat on that too long. And it was a needle mover as well. Yeah. Like it was like his match against Gargano, the secondary market for TakeOver New York, which we were privileged to attend, was white hot. Like yeah. white hot. Watching that again tonight. You're watching T2. I'm watching. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, I, I think all of his quarters performed magnificently well by the standards of that criminally, chronically uninteresting NXT show when it debuted on USA. Like, he was always the one. Yeah. I think he was, I was looking at his, like, stats this morning, like 35 or 36 matches between yeah. his September debut and his uh, injury. And that's on, like, the AEW schedule, considering how reduced that is compared to, like, WWE or whatever. Rotating cast, no house shows. Yeah. I, I think he was like, and I understand why. I think he was like done in by overexposure because you're Tony Khan and you've got Adam Cole on your books and you think, well, I'm going to put him out there every yeah. week. To re- I get it. I genuinely get how bits of this went wrong first time around and they didn't even go that wrong. They just didn't go as right as they could. He's a big star and he's back. Like this is the sort of thing, again, was it yesterday, like, like a Raw preview where we were saying like, WWE just can't help promoting stars when they've got them because it's, they can't sacrifice the rating. Cole's a guy on that level in AEW yeah. context, and they were able to unleash him as a surprise. Yeah. I even think this was done quite tactically, knowing that there was going to be some outward disappointment about somebody that wasn't turned mm. up, and this was Tony Khan trying to get in front. It didn't work, but it was trying to get in front <laughs> of it, of saying, like, oh, they're going to be gutted that somebody's not going to be here, but I'll give them this, and maybe that'll be the takeaway. Yeah. That failed, but I could see why he would have thought that. Uh, the Acclaimed are not out on this show, but they will be on Rampage, so... I sense Max Caster's probably going to have something to say. This was a bit weird, but the first half an hour of the show was so fantastic that I just glossed over it very Same. much. Were they trying to look like idiots? Yes. Like, I should have, Caster. Because they said, we, we're getting a 
We're getting a star on the Walk of Fame this Friday. Much like. Joining greats like Roseanne Barr, Alec Baldwin, Donald Trump, and Johnny Depp. What was this? I was confused. I was this. like, I don't know what this was. It left a bad taste in my mouth. But as I said, I was like, honestly, this is probably hypocritical because I was just enjoying it so much and knew what was to come. That I thought, you know what? Maybe in a couple of days, I'll dwell on this. Jesus Christ. Is the gimmick, right, that Bowens is a liberal and Caster's a maggot shirt, but the fact <laughs> that they can come together means that everyone can. Is that what it is? I think you've, that's a really admirable reach. There. I don't know what it is. Because I couldn't get it otherwise. The one that got me specifically, because I've watched it, I think, am oh, I like, going to create a kickoff when I talk about this in the review? I don't want to create a kickoff. No. I don't want to stir a debate up. But like, Billy Gutton just seemed too thrilled to be name checking Johnny Depp. I was like, what the hell am I supposed to read from this? I don't like, know. If, if he I wasn't wouldn't have touched this at all. If he wasn't included in the list of these other more like, or like, Trump and Roseanne Barr are two examples of like, well, everybody knows a, a rough outline of how you think generally. But the divisive, obviously, because there's two sides to every, like, divisive celebrity. XWWE stars as well, both of them. Johnny Depp was this, like, incredibly divisive Hornets nest name to the extent where, like, when that case concluded, some wrestlers, like, couldn't wait to get online and be like, yeah, Johnny Depp. And it's like, hang on, uh, I don't feel great about this. This didn't land for me at all. Whatever they were trying to... It was so weird. I just I, don't know what they were thinking here. Were they trying to send themselves up as idiots? I, I don't, why? Because like, if you look at the content of some of Max Caster's rhymes, like, I thought the whole idea was with the National Scissoring Day that they're the non-partisan team and they just want everyone to just get along and be the baby. Like, what was this? I was I waiting for him to name-check Vince McMahon. This is the sh- I thought they were listing baddies on purpose to go, and Vince McMahon. But there was no, like, Oosh, don't mention the yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Maybe Rampage will clear the picture. Well, this is the thing. I thought it was it, not... And I very rarely think oh, I could write that better because I can't. And I book something that's physically impossible a lot of the time. But yeah, surely you go... You've got 30 seconds. You're going to be on Rampage. Everyone in the building knows that means you're coming in an hour or two or whatever. But everyone else knows it's Friday. Right and just go, like... We're getting a star on, star on the Walk of Fame, whatever, Right. And, yeah, imply, because there's that photo, isn't there, with Max Caster yeah, flipping yeah. off Vince's one. Imply Vince, basically say, I'm going to do a rap about Vince and WWE, and then go, see you on Friday. Mm. I just didn't, I didn't think you needed all the other bollocks that came with this. It was just very, very odd. Anyway. Like, it's it's okay to have other feelings that I don't have if you're listening to this, by the way. Politically, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, as long yeah. as you're not too far on either a friggin' extreme, come on. Um, But... I don't understand why you would divide the audience into camps when the acclaimed gimmick is everybody loves the acclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> they have legit. I don't know anyone who doesn't at least appreciate that act for what they've done to get over. Like they're the Sami Zayn of AEW, yeah. where literally it's not a catchphrase anymore. Everybody loves the acclaimed. So I don't know what they were thinking with this. Maybe. It was I didn't like, even know what the punchline was, though. That was it, yeah. Like, not to sort of... They're normally excellent, so this is an aberration. Maybe this was, like, poorly performed as well. Like, they weren't illustrating the point with the, the way they were acting. And But then it's like, well, this is a pre-tip. And if there's one thing you know after last week, is you can just use another take. <laughs> just use another take, and then there'll be no trouble. And like, for, for people who are thinking that we're giving them too much of a pass here and saying, well, how do you just forget about this? Right, what happens when someone gets uh, men in blacked? 
big white light goes into the screen, doesn't it? That's mm. what happens when Will Smith does it at the end of the Men in Black music video, which we all watched. Um, big white light at the end. And I thought, oh, that makes sense, because next, the bright white light of Hook's gear wiped any memory of this as he came out with Jungle Boy Jack oh Perry God. to take on Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I loved I love Big Bill. I say loved. I loved this, but I particularly, yeah, loved <laughs> Big Bill doing the <laughs> Jungle Boy arm waving. Shove it. I, what, a, what a phenomenal arsehole face he has got. Just uh, like somebody, I want to think one of the agents or coaches or whatever said, uh, do you remember when you were Demo Happy in uh, WWE on that last pay-per-view against Daniel Bryan? That was really funny. Yes. Like, do, I know like times were hard for you, but like actually as a character bit, it was kind of great. Can you do more <laughs> of that, please? Like this big face, arm in the air. Like Big Bill's kind of got the lot, yeah. actually. <laughs> uh, so Perry and Moriarty start off. <laughs> Trade chops. Uh, Perry hits a sprung, springboard arm drag, drop kick. Hook comes in, takes Moriarty down. Double team offense from uh, Perry and, and Hook. Uh, Jungle Boy tries to do a dive through the ropes onto Big Beal, who catches him, lifts him up. He's going to do the, the choke slam onto the apron, but Hook dives in and, and stops it. Um, we go to a break. Big Bill and Moriarty dominate. Um, but when we come back, Perry power bombs out of a submission, makes the hot tag to Hook, who just chucks Moriarty all over the place, and then there's the moment. Big Bill comes in and says, enough of that, you. Look at me, look at you, what are you going to do? Hook goes for the for this T-bone suplex, the suplex, whatever yeah. it is, goes for it a few times, and you think, well, he's had a good, he gave it a good girl. And then he gets him up and chucks him, and even Big Bill's like, what the bloody hell's just happened? Um, and it comes down to, to Jack Perry and, and Lee Moriarty. Hook uh, takes out Bill at ringside with a big dive uh, and stops him from getting involved as Jack Perry snare traps Moriarty, who submits. Fantastic construction of the thing that we were all excited for, because there were two points to this. We got uh, the amazing visual, like the one you would have hoped for when this match was booked and the one that was teased brilliantly in that segment of the week. But two, uh, two extra elements to that were... Uh, Jack Perry did the move off the top rope that briefly rattled Big Bill so that Hook could do the throw. And then Big Bill takes the throw, rolls immediately to the floor where he's on his feet because he's seven goddamn foot, and he's, like, almost shook by it. He's not knocked out or pinned. Yeah, yeah. shook by it. So there's definitely a case of... Shook face instead of shocked face. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was actually like, organic. There was a, there's a legitimate, I wasn't ready, and your partner booted me in the head couldn't do that in a straight-up one-on-one. Yeah. So the straight-up one-on-one has been preserved. Well, it does it again, and we go wild all over again. Like, And that's a bit of range from old Big Bill as well. Do you remember when W. Morrissey was it? I forget if it was the Jericho, the Punk, or the Wardlow run of the MJF opponents. Was it the Wardlow one? I think Wardlow, because so. he had I, the monsters after, I'm after a him for a bit. big cast guy, but it was hard not to react to that with a bit of a groan, wasn't it? Like, this is yet again a reminder that, like, AW will reward faith more than it doesn't. Not every time, but it will reward Faith Modernism because we're into a hell of a run with Big Bill already and the firm feel the right side of fun. Even if they're not as threatening as they maybe would have been in the old world, they've got a place. They've absolutely got a place. They're a better factory mm. is, what, is what they are. And it's gotten over Jungle Hook in a way that can either be a very occasional revisited, like deep-rooted friendship between these two people or, like, a nice novelty. You can kind of have both for Jungle Hook. There was a great bit on the commentary, wasn't there? Was I think it was Excalibur going, like, oh, well, or maybe Shivani, saying, like, Hook, 
Like, not traditionally doesn't play that well with others. And then Taz was like, well, he teamed with Dan Housen and Action Bronson and now Jack Perry. So, like, this idea that, like, Hook will only form the weirdest possible yeah, teams. Yeah. He won't, like, pair it with the other shooters. But if you're a rapper, a tooth collector, or, like, Luke Perry's kid, he'll give it a bash. Yeah. Like, there's something quite unique about the people Hook pairs off with as yeah. well. All of this worked for me. This is really nice. Nothing more than this, but really nice mm. hometown undercard fair that has a few more... Uh, a bit more mileage to go. Big Bill didn't get outclassed or dominated. He got embarrassed because he was too cocky. And he can use that exact same phrase in the promo for the singles FTW match that I suspect is still yeah. going to happen and just say, right, I took you lightly. You know, quite as bad as I thought. It will not happen again. I'm going to kill you this time. Um, I just thought they told that story really in quite a sophisticated way. And yeah, his range throughout was genuinely good. Like a proper how it started, how it's going yeah. meme side by side with his facial expressions for the, just the grin on his face when he's doing Baltimore, <laughs> pop me huge. It was so funny. And then the actual, actually good shocked face. Mm. This, is gr- this is great for what it was. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we go any further though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. 
Backstage, uh, Renee Paquette is there with Dan House and Orange Cassidy and Golden Globe winner Paul Walterhauser. Uh, and they do some stuff with the House and Hauser stuff. Uh, he's got his award with him. To be fair, if I would just want to go Golden Globe, I'd probably take it around for a while. <laughs> well, this, oh, it's just, yeah. Uh, he's going to show it off, though, on Rampage. Uh, and he asks, is everything all right? You and best friends, Orange Cassidy? And they come in, they're like, yep, everything's fine. I don't know if it is. No, I uh, I like this because... You hate best friends. I hate best friends. and I, <laughs> I hate best friends, and yet I like this. Um, I found the I found Renee, uh, Renee's reactions to Dan Housen and... What was it again? Walter Paul, Hauser. Ha- Paul Walter Hauser. Hauser. Sounds like Housen, you see. Like, I found her reactions to that so natural and real that this felt like such a warm scene, and then best friends arrive, and it all gets a bit colder. And Paul Walter Hauser is effectively just outing himself as a fan of the show that watches because he knows enough about the product to know that things aren't right in Best Friends. That's a really subtle way to use a celebrity in a very effective way. He's a shoot wrestling fan. Great. Um, And even if he wasn't, though, give him that line. He's a shoot wrestling fan who plays the character Stingray in Cobra Kai. Ah. And I think that it was his idea that he got Judas on Cobra Kai. Right, okay. Like, that box, by the way, it's wrestling. You set anything up like that? Did he get? Yeah, am I thinking of the right show? I'm gonna Google that. Like it's 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 a wrestling rule, right? It's like when there's a cake out there. If there's a cake out there. Somebody's got to go in it. Yeah. That that box, whether or not it's got his actual golden globe in, has now been established as holding the golden globe. So even if the box opens up and it's a, a fake yeah, one it or is something like that, that's getting destroyed or stolen or damaged or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's so easy in wrestling to just like you're basically spraying something gold. Like, oh, that, that matters now. That box matters. <laughs> so that, like, heel's going to, like, throw it into the crowd or, like, stamp on it and crush it or something, and now we care about that. Like, wrestling gets such a, like, a pass with that. Completely uh, uh, tangent here. Uh, as if Good Brews couldn't get any more over in the What Culture office, provider of delicious coffees when we need it. More on that in a little bit, by the way. He's wearing a Cobra Kai t-shirt this morning. Ah, what a gay. Love boy. Cobra Kai. Uh, right, next up, it's time. If you're stuck on... Seasons three and four, because you think it's getting a bit too cheesy and it's getting a bit too contrived. Season five is amazing. It flies by those episodes as well. It's just such an, it's just nice. An easy watch. I miss a world, right, where you can pen a song like You're the Best by Joe Esposito without layering layering it in just irony, 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 irony. We can't have a world like that anymore with You're the Best being earnest. Cobra Kai gives you a glimpse that maybe you can. Mm. It was, uh, there's a great lyric. Um, it says, uh, irony. Nothing's ever going to keep you down. It's from a recent song. It says, uh, Irony's okay, I suppose, in a most post-modern way. And it's in a song called Sincerity is Scary. And I was like, I love that message. And it's from Matt Healy, the 1975. He's recently become a complete weird pedo piece of <laughs> So he's gone. Uh, can I offer you uh, George Ezra at this trying time? But he's fine about it. That's the difference. He's okay with He's thinking about what he sees. Did honestly. That coming on the radio on our summer holidays and my nine and seven year old being able to make up George Ezra lyrics by pointing out the window. Red, red car. Yeah, you've done it. That's what George Ezra, you've done it. Like write songs by numbers. There you go. Anyway, what was it? Big, big bridge. Open my fridge. Oh, hit. <laughs> hit. <laughs> Star. <laughs> uh, right. Speaking of stars, Brian Danielson 
And Kanosuke Takeshita were next. Well, actually, technically, Kanosuke Takeshita came out first, made his entrance, and then MJF came out. And I went, uh-oh, where's this going? And he, he's nice. He greets him with a nice, Konnichiwa! Um, and says, I like you. I mean, I haven't seen literally a lick of your stuff. But I like you. I think you're going to kick Brian Danielson's ass. What's your name again? Take a shit. So good. It's, it's like it's so stupid that it's good, yeah. and it's it's the fact he says that. And you I go, love a boorish American, yeah, being s- that thick. It's very good. So those couples in films, hey honey, take my picture. Yeah, large Ben, uh, we're in London, <laughs> London. <laughs> but it's the fact it was. The, I think it was the, what tickled me more because I was like, yeah, very good, take us. Yeah, and he's like, but don't take one tonight. <laughs> uh, I need you to win and. He gives Takesh to the mic, and Takesh obviously speaks in Japanese. And uh, MJF's like, oh, what the bloody hell are you on about? What's that for a promo? We speak American here. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, I told you, I said, kiss my ass. And MJF's all flustered. And he's like, oh, bloody hell, get him out of the ring. And Aubrey Edwards goes, okay. That was confusing. Was a bit off that, that was stupid. <laughs> like, he, had, he looked so reduced. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, right, okay. I know that in 15 minutes' time, I'm going to think Kanosuke Takesh is the wrestling god that he is. So it's fine, but for a minute it was a bit. What's he doing? Go and kick his ass. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it's a necessary contrivance, I guess. Kick his ass, take a shit. Kick his ass, take a shit. <laughs> um, and so MJF continues. He talks about the Iron Man match potentially with with Brian Danielson, although he doesn't think that's going to happen. He's seen people saying he can't last 60 minutes. I knew where this is going, yeah. and I still popped. And he says, why don't you It's ask like he you? pops his balls into your mother. <laughs> why don't you ask your mum and your skank girlfriend how long I can last? What? I didn't... I missed the, the sort of... The, what was implied here. Now, the subtext that he was, like, yeah. alluding to uh-huh. here is that um, he has sexual stamina, mm-hmm. where he's able to go up to his nuts and guts... <laughs> And he's able to withstand the waves and waves of pleasure uh-huh. in order to satisfy a woman. I'll be reliably informed that 10 minutes is just fine, by the way. <laughs> but he is able... Sex at an early night. <laughs> it's not to love there. He's able to withstand just the relentless pleasure yeah. before chucking his muck. Up your family and friends. Up specifically. Right. Yeah, up the fannies of your family and friends. <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Well, in America. They <laughs> might do anal, I don't know. Yeah, he's blistering their the fannies. F- the f- they're fannies and they're <laughs> c-s. <laughs> They're c-s and they're c-s. Oh, yeah. And they're assholes. <laughs> right. So that's what you do. You get it now? Got it now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, unlike Danielson, he's all about pinning shoulders on mats and banging rats. Loves it. He loves that one. There's a context. Uh, there's a difference in the context between MJF delivering this and what came later on the show yes. that I think is important to identify. Yes. Not just being biased towards MJF there. Like, I yes. think there's Specifically, a babyface probably shouldn't say stuff like this. Yeah, MJF has gone out there and already proven himself over like, what, a minute and a half to be just the most hideous guy in the room. So the hideous guy in the room has established that well, he's going to say more hideous things. You're not supposed to like Todd Packer in the office. No. You know. Meant to think it's banter, but you're not meant to like him. Yeah. Goes after the celebrities at ringside. Not banter. No. But like you see that version of that person. Yes. And you identify him for who he is. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Ken gets it. Um, and he mentions the fact that the hangover was out like 20 years ago. Um, oh, and slags off that 
the fact that Dr. Ken got cancelled. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is there. He gets a decent reaction. He says, oh, you may remember him from She's All That. He says, I don't, because I was born in 1996. And then talks about the only thing he actually knows him from is working with a, well, playing second fiddle, basically, to a CGI dog. Called him a Scooby-Dooby douchebag. That was it. The Great off. sell from Freddy. Freddy? Freddy. He's yeah. been in the biz. Yeah. Bro. I really like the She's All That gag because that's not just at the expense of Freddie Prince Jr. It's me. It's at the expense of every single person in that building because that's who AEW's for. They're, hey, AEW fans, you remember She's All That? Of course we do. Like You've nailed you've nailed the period where we were becoming teenagers when this came out because you know your exact target audience and they've all bought tickets. Yeah. Everyone was in love with Rachel Lee Cook. Everyone loved yeah. that film. And everyone is exceedingly old for having seen it at the time. Was it a scary movie or another one of them when everything was being parodied in, like, parody movie that did kind of nail, like, the key floor of She's All That, where, like, the jocks being like, who are you going to go out with? Like, ugly Jane, physically hideous Joe, or, like, there she is just with glasses on. <laughs> no, <laughs> not her. You know what? I think this is goddamn explained in the plot of She's All That and the dialogue where Freddie Prince Jr.'s character says something to the effect of, oh, my God, I can under- I can handle something that's probably better left in the 90s. Yeah. But weird and inaccessible, no, I can't do that. So he never says that she's ugly. He just says weird and inaccessible. I think his mates, his jock mates see her as ugly. Not another teen glasses. movie, I think you're thinking Not of. another teen movie. There was a lot of them, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Good that I might want to rewatch that. Was it? was <laughs> <laughs> T2. We talk, we're talking about Terminator Randall in the office today. 1991. Jesus. God, we're so old, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, different, I, different gravy to the original Terminator. That wasn't it, T2. Yeah, different gravy. Change the game. <laughs> Both gravies are good. Yeah. Just different gravies. That's it. Arnold Schwarzenegger gravy. Change your plan now. If we're going to get a sign in the AW audience, I want this is different gravy. <laughs> 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 gravy bowl. <laughs> This show is different gravy. You are different gravy. (laughs) Hit him with a gravy ball! MGF says there's not going to be an Iron Man match. Goes to hit his tagline, but of course, Danielson Music hits. And then, I mean, you should probably explain this, Sidge. What happens when Brian Danielson comes down to the ring? Maxwell Jacob Friedman transmogrifies into Usain Bolt. <laughs> what an incredible slapstick run. Like, you know he's an athlete, played college uh, football. Yeah. And he just he's clever enough to just preserve that athleticism for as long as he professionally wrestles at this point. He's I just was so impressed with the just the pace and the power. Sixty yard dash. And those goddamn thighs of his. <laughs> little squat man. Like a little eel. And he's just pounding. Like the visually, I'm not being funny, I'm trying to put over this guy's run and exactly what he's trying to do. He's like, he's pounding that ramp with every step with these like really explosive movements like to get over the slapstick of how pissed scared he is of Danielson. Before we got into the match, quick note on this promo. Thank you, shit. Really, really funny. But the line that I thought was really clever here is that he's constantly saying, I'm the heel, I'm the heel, I'm the heel. You can't forget between all out and full gear that people said this was never going to happen. He could not pull it off. Him distancing himself from the hipsters who love Takeshita by saying, I never really watched you. (laughs) It's like, that's really important because those hipsters were trying to change the narrative about two or three months ago 
and they are failing and they've failed and MGF has succeeded. So for him to just really, really distance himself, I thought it was a really clever line. Like this, like saying, I haven't seen any of your stuff despite the fact this isn't his first showing on AEW. He's been on this show loads. He like, watches his own stuff back. <laughs> and he does see, yeah, he did say he only fast forwards to his bits, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> also, the running away gave me flashbacks to when him and Jericho were like doing the, the young one. They're like, let's get out of here. Scram. <laughs> what a word scram is. <laughs> Uh, right, so Danielson Takeshita, who uh, Takeshita actually got a really early blue thunderbomb. Uh, Danielson counters into a headlock takeover, puts him in the Romero special, Dragon Sleeper, Takeshita reverses into one of his own. Um, Danielson fires back with an underhook suplex and a label lock attempt, but again, Takeshita uses his size, uh, this time to get a rope break. Charging corner drop kicks, but the third one gets countered into a, a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Chops from Takeshita. Danielson moonsaulted out of the corner into a flying clothesline. Hits a dive to the floor. They're battling on the ropes. Takeshita hit a huge lariat. Off the, I thought I'd seen enough lariats for, for the night. Not like, here. It looked like a love crafty and horror. Unbelievable. Turns Danielson inside out for a two count. Um, Danielson counters a powerbomb into a Hurricane Rana that sends him to, sends Takeshita to the outside. Um, Danielson sort of jumps off the apron, and it's all a little bit awkward. You're like, oh, bit of a botch that because they collapse into the rating. And I can't remember which one of you said this this morning. Uh, Danielson just goes, oh, brain busting me on the floor and everyone will forget that. Bring him straight back in. Uh, to goes for the charging knee. Danielson and misses. Danielson gets the en- hammer and anvil elbows. Brian goes for a victory roll, but Takeshita counters into a, I think, like a package tombstone, basically. Oh, my God. And then a wheelbarrow suplex for a near fall. That near fall. That was the one. Like, that allowed you to forget about... I'm going to put a bit of a pop at the book in a second, but that allowed you to forget about the wider story just for how hot that moment was. Mm. Takeshita goes for another one. Danielson lands on his feet. Busaiku knee gets a two count. And uh, the crowd are loving this as Danielson just stamps on Takeshita's head and uh, puts him in the regal stretch. Takeshita goes out. Brian Danielson wins. Still on track to face MJF down the line, of course. Like, this was a four-star level match. I honestly think they could work 50 and do even better. I think this would have been the worst of the 50 if they worked 49 more, and yet it was still four stars because it was Danielson. One thing I love about Danielson's work is that he's just unbelievably intelligent. He did something similar in that awesome tag match against um, Top Flight on Rampage where Darius Martin sort of got him in this, like, really unique Irish whip, but even though Danielson had never seen it, because he's such a wrestling genius, he still knew how to counter it within a nanosecond of thought and improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Psyche knee, I thought that was so clever. We saw another element of it here. I don't think we've seen Takeshita do that unbelievable springboard senton Atomico, where he has the unbelievable balance and agility to springboard off the top rope and do a flip at his size. I don't think he's done that in AEW yet. And yet, Danielson, the character knows the answer to literally every single wrestling move with a counter, even those he's watching for the first time. That's how impressive he is as a pro wrestling character. And we saw an example of why that's believable because he's such a great wrestler that that botch, the first thing that I thought was, oh God, then like what a millisecond later, I was like, you're a genius again. (laughs) He, God damn it, fed the knee that had been crushed underneath both of their bodies to Takeshita to give him a uh, instant way back into the match because it was his turn to go on offense. Because I think what was meant to happen is Danielson was going to fly off the apron 
with the knee. I think Takeshita was meant to catch him mm-hmm. and do a powerbomb into the announce table or against the apron or something, but it all went completely awry. But then he realized, right, okay, it's his turn to be on offense here. I'll just feed him the leg that people know has just been like hurt. Mm. And it just made the story credible again. Unbelievable stuff. One more thing I want to put over. This match was incredible, and yet I still think they could do better. Um, was at the start. He, that headlock takeover counter was great because he was basically saying that Takeshita can neutralize your power advantage. You can't use that over me. You kind of have to use the spirit that you've got burning inside you. And then Takeshita was like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to forearm you so hard in the face that you're just going to sit on your ass. And Brian Danielson sitting down... <laughs> can do more to elevate an opponent than most of the wrestlers. Takeshi looks like a monster in there against that. The size difference. Yeah. Danielson's just, he's an absolute genius. An absolute genius. And me and Hamflat, I think, have got differing opinions on how this is all working. But I love the idea of the contrast that they are creating because Danielson, by working these sorts of matches, is shaking hands with Takeshi and just basically saying that, in contrast, I could not respect MGF any less in fact, he's got no chance whatsoever mm. of not just lasting on a stamina level with me for 60 minutes, but not losing his title. So how they parlay that drama into the match itself at Revolution, I think, is really strong. But Hamlet's got a point to make, and I do kind of agree with it. And Danielson's got Bandido next week. He does, yeah. <laughs> like, on the match first, like, I don't want to sound picky because what I liked about this, I absolutely loved about it, but, like, we are here to analyse it. Their chemistry... I like relied on an escalation from quite respectful, hard hitting, but respectful wrestling to a war. And when they got to the war, I was just so bang into it. It's that thing that kind of like, yeah, I know you especially will one, but like where Takeshi was immediately hit as an AEW wrestler, yeah. certainly in North America, has just felt like all he does is have these wars, these <laughs> these mini epics like wrapped up within a match. I I agree with Sid actually about wanting this longer. I don't think this. I think where I found fault with this was that it maybe didn't fit this show or television or whatever, because that I found the escalation a bit fake. A bit like, sudden. Yeah, a bit sudden. And the timing fell off as a result. But then I forgot about that because the action was blistering, like unbelievably good, super hard hitting, real feeling, and really, really tied to, to Sidgwick's point. Brian Danielson, the exquisite and exceptional professional wrestler that is light years above an MJF who wants to respect the art of professional wrestling and doesn't believe that MJF does. I love that. And I love that about all of these matches and how they're going to fold into the, the bigger picture at Revolution. I have an issue with... I, I think this booking is flawed. And I ultimately, Brian Danielson is such a genius and is everything that everybody says he is that it might not matter in truth. But I just it's really struck me this week. And then they announced Bandido and I thought, it's going to happen again. Like, MJF is not lining up these opponents we don't think. Brian is part of this now and welcoming them and they're getting booked. And it's going to be, you would assume, a dream factory of Brian Danielson matches. But every single time, that wrestler is going to be a babyface in the dream match of their own. And as was the case with Takeshita here, kind of get the audience on side for them to win. But then if they do, Danielson loses and he doesn't get his match with MJF. So the... The di- and I thought mm. that was happening here. Like, people are just popping in, the, as I was, popping in the moment for Takeshita to win. Oh, my God, he's going to win. And then there was this strange, like, reaction to the reaction where it almost felt like you could feel the audience remembering what's on the line here. So then it's back to Danielson again, who's kind of working subtle heel in order to make the dynamic make sense. I think it's slightly flawed. I, I don't want to call it bad booking because it makes sense with the two characters, but I, I do think there's an issue with that, and I wonder how that's going to play out in the other matches. The lack of clarity in how these opponents are finding their way to Brian. 
Like, they're not straight appeals. It would be easier if it was fixtures. Yeah, it, it would be easier if there were straight appeals, but it doesn't feel like you're going to get the fun matches that way. So I imagine there's going to be more like Tocastro and Bandido than not. I think the idea, obviously, it's not very hard to interpret. I know you understand it. I'm not saying you don't. Is that they are saying, right, Danielson is the ultimate professional wrestler who's giving you the dream matches with the idea being, if you think these matches on TV are fantastic and you love him for it, how good is him in the ring for an hour going to be? Mm. So that's why they're doing it, but I do agree that I don't okay. want to... I'd rather... I. Would I wa- rather just watch Danielson be Danielson and just have him beat heels and it'd be really cathartic? You would think there would be like a couple more, like uh, there still might be, like like working heels, really good work rate heels who then go in there and Brian beats them and there's just the, the natural sort of feeling in the building of not only do I want him to win this match. Like Brian versus Swerve. If yeah. he didn't want to, but they don't want to beat Swerve and that's fine. Yeah, but, but if there's, there's others a, like him. Yeah, if they were in a place, that would be a great version of what this could mm. be. But I'm still really into what it is. I'm getting these amazing Danielson matches and yeah. serving yeah. a big overarching narrative purpose. One more thing on this specific match is as good as it was and as good as Danielson was throughout it, putting him over because he's a genius, I wasn't left with that feeling of, oh, he came so close and I'm gutted that it wasn't this time or I'm so impressed with Takeshita at a level that... I've noticed didn't feel like he put up that much of a fight by the end. And that's, at the moment, a very conscious story beat. Of yeah, I run. thought that they was... Are, they are hitting that hard, but it didn't come across that much ve- because of the sudden it's change. It's very I pedantic. I just thought it was a bit lacking in that part of what they're trying to do with Takeshita. I think in and around it. No, and I not think... On, well, maybe on Dark. Say again? Has he won a singles match yet? Yeah, he's won singles matches. He's won quite a few, but never the big dynamite... Yeah against a really high-caliber opponent. I feel like an angle is coming where the whole thing is you cannot win the big one, and that becomes a revolution singles match where he'd like a nice feel-good thing. Like oh, that's a- certainly the way they're doing They're doing the Kabashi thing, except it's not as... It's indirectly inspired by the Kenta Kabashi arc. No, you could be for the, the biggest of big ones, Jeff Jarrett. Perfect. There we go. I don't know if it's going to be Kenny. Because <sighs> they're certainly doing... Like, Kenny wants to work him. Like... Obviously. Well, you've both named the 1A, like 1 and 1A there. So. <laughs> and the, the callous, shut up, I was going to talk about it. but uh, <laughs> uh, No, pa- that's good, the callous thing. It yeah, would be yeah, a really yeah. great thing, wouldn't it? Renee Paquette is backstage with Juice Robinson. He's here to kick ass and take names, and he challenges Darby Allen for the TNT title on Rampage. This is, such, this is so harsh. He feels like a bit of a phoned-in caricature. There was always that element of caricature to his act. He was basically playing the old-fashioned 80s babyface. Now he's doing the 80s sort of, like this is for heavily inspired by like Piper's kind of thing. Um, he feels like he's not as hot as he was in 2018, put it that way. But maybe it'll change on Friday. There's this th- that thing as well that was a problem more in AW last year than as we've seen of late, where... It, there's no set rule to it. You well, forget like, he exists. Tony Khan loves the oh, wrestler just blown into town. He's going to cause trouble, you know, like especially when it's a heel. But some hit and some don't. And there's no rule to it. Like he likes that device, and sometimes it works better than others. And I don't think it felt that effective here as a like you were supposed to feel like oh, like the old western where some like cowboy from out of town has just rode in on his black horse, and Darby Allen's a sheriff, and he's going to keep yeah. him safe. Like old that. Oakies ridden into town. <laughs> <laughs> Juice didn't feel like that threat that's going to cause problems. It doesn't help that he had a really mid-match against Mox. Well, this is last it. Last year. Yeah, like th- that's maybe part of why sometimes it just doesn't feel real. A bit, bit of alliteration from you there, mate. Sorry. just Sorry. Alliteration is the uh, an atrocity <laughs> by arseholes. <laughs> uh, right. Time for it then. Soraya and her mystery partner. 
who's meant to be Tony Storm, uh, against Jamie, <laughs> oh, Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker. He's killing them. I felt, I felt so sorry for the women involved in this match because they, like, clearly, Mercedes Monet's not showing up here because they were literally like, look, here's Tony Storm out first. Not being jumped, none of that. And the crowd, in, well, not at that moment, but they lost the crowd, obviously, with this because... They were preoccupied. The longer it went on, yeah. they realised. Well, except for the bit. I want to say it now because I might forget. Where post... Was it after this match? Yeah. Yeah. Excalibur's doing his spiel. If you're watching at home, Excalibur's just doing his spiel. Oh, coming up on a rampage. Blah, 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 blah. And the match we haven't announced yet. Um, but in the audience, obviously, when that happens, they're just, they've gone. Production have gone. Blah, 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 we'll go here. We'll show Excalibur on screen at, at the desk and then just hoy up a load of graphics. So in the arena, they tall, turn all the lights down, and everyone goes, oh, God, get your camera phones out. And then just on the screen, it's just them showing the graphics of it. And it was just this, another wave of like, oh, no, it's definitely not <laughs> happening tonight. Um, so, yeah, it was Soraya and Tony Storm versus uh, AW Women's World Champion Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker. Um, we'll deal with the Mercedes stuff afterwards. We'll talk about the match first. Hayter starts off back and forth with, uh, with Tony Storm. They've got a lot of history, grudge, Stuff together, of course. Uh, Hayter gets sent to the outside. Soraya hits a tumbleweed off the apron. Um, back inside, Soraya takes the fight to her, screams, "It's my! this is my house. Um, Soraya and Storm go for the double suplex. It's a spot they've done a lot in Jamie Hayter matches, but I love it every time. Two people come in and go, let's just do a double suplex on her. And she goes, no, nah, I'll just do it to <laughs> both of you instead. Storm gets sent to the apron. Baker hits a brutal-looking spinning neck breaker off the back of that. Looks very pleased with herself down the camera after that. They, uh, Hater and Baker, that is, take turns slamming uh, both Tony Storm and Soraya into the guardrails. Hikaru Shida's there, though, to, to, you know, get rid of Rebel getting involved and, and to be there for her pals. Um, Soraya gets the hot tag. I think this was after a break. Soraya gets the hot tag, runs wild, um, hits Baker with the nightcap, formerly the page turner, of course. Baker goes for an air raid crash, but Soraya counters with just a big old knee to the face. Storm hits sweet cheek music on Baker, puts her in a cloverleaf, but Hater just kicks her right in the face. Um, Storm somehow kicks out of a Baker uh, avalanche air raid crash, which looked awesome. Um, Storm fights back. German suplex, Storm Zero, Baker dives in to make the save. Uh, match breaks down, Baker drops Soraya with a spinning butterfly suplex, and there's just a slugfest between Tony, Tony Storm and the world champion. Rebel takes the ref, Sheeta gets that kendo stick of hers, slides it into the ring, but it's Britt Baker who gets it. Nails Storm in the back with it. Hater comes in, hits her finisher. One, two, th three, and Sheeta... Oh, no, looks all shocked by what's gone on here. Uh, this is going to be like, oh God, I'm so looking forward to not talking about Mercedes money in oh, yeah. AEW, and I know I will after the match. Um, what was disheartening about this is that at first I thought, you know what, this is really nice. They dropped the bollock last week by not editing out Britt Baker's illusion. I don't know what she was thinking there, to be honest. I really don't, and I've got all the time in the world. I think so highly of Britt Baker. I don't know whether she was trying to do a derisory or she's not turning up. So suck it. Like a wink. I'm the boss. Yeah, you I'm the need boss. The you don't boss need that. I'm not teasing it. I am. And then everyone just interpret it otherwise, as they were always going to do. People will latch onto these breadcrumbs. It's the company that encourages you to do that. Um, but I was encouraged by the early crowd reaction because I thought, you know what? If this was a company like WWE, <laughs> 
um, and it's history more like basically they had to rely on part-timers and all the rest of it and if you drop the bollock and tease something you had no intention of delivering or whatever they would hijack the show I thought it was quite encouraging that these AEW fans were like, right, okay, we're not getting money. We kind of wanted it, but having such a good time that we'll give what is being presented to us a chance. And for like three or four minutes before the commercial break, I really thought this was something. Like, I did not expect, honestly, I kind of internally wrote Soraya off after full gear. I thought her work looked very flimsy. None of it looked like it hurt. I thought they had a decent enough structure that just didn't have any weight or body or snap collision to it at all and yet the dive off the eight was really good yeah. my god do I love do I love Irish whip drop down I'm trying to trip you up I think that people have seen in wrestling the thing that counters that move so many more times than what that move is meant to be that I love the idea that I saw it it was fantastic that's what you're trying to do with this I thought that was great baby face work Dot, dot, dot. Is Soraya a baby face? What's going on? Mm. The dynamic was so confusing. So you got Soraya, who screamed, this is my house so often that I thought, has she become self-aware, realized the discourse, she's coming off as entitled, and now this is the first seed of a heel turn where she's really laying that on thick so that people start to resent her all the more in time for her turning heel. If that's the case, why pair her with Tony Storm, yeah. whose actual appeal is as a baby face and whose motive for going hell for leather in this match, was thoroughly justified. She got a face broken in, and she's a baby face, and she can't let that slide. Well, you know what that is? That's not cool. That's not cool. That's it's just not cool. <laughs> but that's... I, I was like, all right, okay, go on. You got your face broken, break her's back. <laughs> that's a baby face yeah. thing, but then yeah. this entitlement from Soraya suggests... That, uh, it's just... Uh, and everyone likes Jamie Hayter. Like, she could, you know... I don't know. I was going to say she could do something. She could do something despicable. Kick a dog. Kick a dog. I don't. Want, that's what I didn't want to say. Oh, sorry. <laughs> animal cruelty. You're trivializing it. What a bad person you are. Was that comment the other week? The comment <laughs> the other week when we were doing the five star review review on Raw, when we like to laugh at the perverts mm. online, was yeah, yeah. I would burn a puppy alive <laughs> just to shag ivory. And we, well, I was going to say we had the small uh, crises, uh, crises between the two of us, about three of us, about whether we can uh, laugh at that. But no, apparently no crisis yeah, for you. The moral crisis between the two of you, maybe. <laughs> anyway, anyway, that's how much people love Jamie Hayter. Yes. So they're not going to have, like Tony Storm's an amazing baby face. Doesn't really matter. They like Hayter more. And that's just the fact. Yes. Um. So I don't know what they're trying to do with this. I don't know why Tony Storm's getting wrapped up in it because I still think she's got way more to do as a baby face. Sheeda looked feckless last week, like a joke, an afterthought. And that was the story, I think. If you're going to turn, just bloody turn, she looked even worse this week. Mm. Like, I wanted the trifecta. You knew you were going to get match quality out of this dynamite. You got the promos between MGF and Adam Cole. I want a really good angle here. This was not a good angle. She just looked like, oh, I'm a bad person. I'm, am I a bad person? No, you're thoroughly justified because them two were being twat. Last week yeah. they were being arsehole. I just, and again, I'm going to just say one more thing on Mercedes Monet. Up until the illusion, AEW never yeah. hinted once. But at the same time, they must, they can't be naive to think booking it 
five weeks out, I think it was five weeks, that was going to be someone on the on the roster. That's not how these things are meant to work. Right. Why did you do that? What, what, what was, could you possibly have thought was going to happen? What was the deal with his two tickets or a ticket or whatever? Yeah, you know what's happened here is something has fallen through and they've scrambled. And they've scrambled in the most convoluted way possible where they've somehow contrived to also tease that which they hurriedly tried to, like, sort of make go away. Untease. Bizarre in the extreme, all of this. And the crowd justifiably let them have it. The boss tease from Britt Baker, I don't think was, like, promotional malpractice so much as organisational malpractice. Like, regardless of where you're at... Cut that this, out. Yeah. Regardless of... in the pillar. Boom. Regardless of where you're at in the what's going on with Mercedes money, like, are they having conversations and there's been a breakdown? Like over money and like thoughts. Money. They've arrogantly, that company has arrogantly teased. Sorry, I'm stepping on That's your okay. dick here. They have arrogantly teased someone that they've not had under contract to yeah. appear on their programming before. It was very subtle, but way back in 2019, and thank God this didn't happen, when Marty Skirl was about to be a free agent, the Wednesday night war was raging, ROH was still a thing, the pandemic hadn't happened. Um, the free agent bidding war was so fierce that ROH just give the most money they've ever given anyone to Marty Skill. But they thought they had him because of the elite connections, the inbuilt storyline, and there was talk that he was going to be the exalted one or the mastermind behind the dark order. Jericho list bit. That's the thing. They said, um, Marty, he said he had this list of people that were never going to face Chris Jericho. And it was like, I'm scared of Moxley. John Moxley, like Coke will be where all these kinds of things. And then the thing, he waited for the sting of the Jurassic Express theme to play, because he was feuding with Jungle Boy at the time. Hurt, that was his cue to say, and pretend to be stopped by going, Marty, they've teased, very subtly, but they've teased Marty Skrull, enough so that enough nerds like us could go on Twitter or Reddit and go, oh, did you see that? That kind of tease. They've done it to people who aren't under contract, so honestly, it would not surprise me if they've just thought, oh, we've got her, and then she's turned around and said, I want loads of money. <laughs> Now, I'm not just doing that as a joke. She wants loads of money. She, in fact, um, walked away initially from the uh, from the talks with Bushy Road because she didn't think she was going to get enough. Press the wrong button. Money. <laughs> Timing. So, something's fallen through. They're not that stupid. I saw what this promotion did with Mike Bennett, Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, and Kip Sabian, those four names, Jesus Christ. Three months ago, you said they're, they're going to be in the best two hours that you're going to see on a Friday night, ever. They're not that stupid. So no. They might be arrogant. Something has fallen through here. I am certain of it. There will be, I assume, um, that I think there'll be like, from the AW sexuals or the freakazoids, they'll be like, well, it was only the boss thing. Like, and that could have got cut out, and then otherwise AW would have done nothing wrong. That's just simply not true. That is simply not true. The five-week tease with the tickets of a mystery partner, no less. Like, when in wrestling has a mystery partner been paid off one week before with an announcement of that mystery? Like, that, that in itself. They are, so this is what I said yesterday on the preview. Like, it's having your cake and eating it too if you kind of put your hands up and say, well, other than the boss one, we never even promoted it. Because one of the things that AEW was so cool at is, like, allowing people to speculate and have fun with it. The CM Punk thing wouldn't have been half successful mm. unless you did that. You know, like, the, they did that. Like, so that was the absolutely the case here, and it is. I think it's bad faith to be like, well, other than the boss thing, leave AEW alone, guys. Like, it's just, that's bollocks. And it was, it cast such a large shadow over what initially was a pretty great match, and I felt sorry for all of them as well. I was really into the, um, the pairings here because it occurred, like, true, I don't want to be cruel to 
Britt Baker especially, who is such a fantastic all-rounder that you'd, you'd absolutely pick her for your team, even if there's some things that she's obviously more skilled at than others. You could tell in this match that there were two people that were bigger stars and two people that were more awesome wrestlers, and that's fine. That actually makes for a great tag match because when Storm and Hater are in there, different gravy. But Baker and Soraya bigger stars and it's cool because everyone yeah. can elevate everybody else and that was happening in the tag match as a result but then the shadows started to loom larger and larger and but larger the second half was really sloppy and tepid the vibes got worse I think as people as the, as the fix was in that there was no Mercedes money and that Hikaru Shida thing it's a mystery that doesn't need to be a mystery like there shouldn't be a mystery about the fact that you're really pissed off that you were pied last week like there shouldn't be no mystery that her acting was poor but it was the, the most recent example of that exact spot was Paul Heyman doing it to Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Remember, he slid in the belt, and he was mm. like, you know what to do, where he wasn't looking at one person or the other. But that lived and died by the year that both were coming to their feet. So Heyman needed uh, plausible deniability. Like, uh, thingy, Tony Storm was flat out. Yeah. She, she hasn't got the plausible deniability, and yet she was instructed to go, oh, no, what's happened? Unless that was a tease. Mm. Right, here's what's happened. Succinctly, before we move on, the ostensible babyface trio who were kind of randomly thrown together, which is a bit women's wrestling-y in mm-hmm. AEW, right? When everyone just wants Baker and Hayat to be the babyfaces and all of this. So between the ostensible babyface trio, you've got Hikaru Shida, Soraya, and Tony Storm. Soraya and Tony Storm were dicks last week by excluding Shida, and Shida this week is totally incompetent and thick for not getting, <laughs> that, not getting that bit right. Yeah. So unless it's like she's faking it and she put it there on purpose, then you've got incompetent, nasty morons on your babyface team. Total Three what? Stooges stuff. Like and I was told last week in, my, in the replies to my tweet that I thought you wanted a women's division build. I still do. That did not happen tonight. On that, like, I don't want it like seem like we're dwelling on this, but on the Soraya point you made before, I remembered something I was going to say about this whole, this is my house. Is she now, like, conscious and... Like, the character is not that self-aware. This is my house, this is my house. That's been made substantially worse by the supposed heels in the story... Uh, like, not at all being heelish about it. Remember the Baker promo before the singles match, right? It was like, that couldn't have been a more babyface promo if you tried. (laughs) No, this is my house, actually, and here's loads of objective evidence to that point that what you're saying is all just bluster compared to the blood and the sweat that I've put into this company. So they've not even really armed, even if Saray is just trying to be a babyface, they've not armed her with the tools of the back catalogue, and now she's gone 50-50. Like, how many, how many male stars debuting on a level, com- yeah. like, comparable to Soraya, would be 50-50 after two? Not that many, I don't no. think. One last thing to do before we move on, then. It's time to play the game! And what is the name of that game, Michael's situation? Well, the aim of the game, before we of get course. to the name of the game, is to identify and correctly predict to the hour, minute, second, the first note of the first woman's entrance theme for the obligatory token AEW women's match on Dynamite to bring into harsh focus that it is token obligatory. And if we can get it to the very second, it will really, really underscore just how apathetic all of this is. And to make the very depressing <laughs> game that little bit more light, we have a name of the game, which we articulate with a jingle, which goes a little something like this. Well, this is late as nine, and I'm thinking, no, what a night. Do you want to give us the times that we... Uh, the predicted times. On the, uh, on the preview yesterday. Yep. I don't want to play this game anymore. That preamble bit, which is important. Yes. So we don't want to trivialize this. 
get the time right, we'll put two women's matches on and we'll stop playing the And we'll stop being mad because there was only one women's match and then there's like worse for the women of AEW still to come on this broadcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. In deep sending order. <laughs> this out by the end of the year. Adam, Will, born one hour flat. We the ones. Hamlet, 120 flat. We're not even... We're the so, actual ones. We're so bored of how obligatory there's. You're not even given seconds anymore. No. I am. So I want to get it dead on. <laughs> one hour, 43, 21. Who won? Michael Hamlet. It was a shout out as always to Adam Blair at Adam Wilton 4 who sent us loads of lovely treats and a little trophy for last year, the trophy that no one wants to win. Uh, at Adam Wilton 4, as I said on Twitter, uh, it was Michael Hamlet, one hour, 13 minutes, 18 seconds. So you have been six cool. seconds off before, haven't you? So. Yeah. On the subject of absolute legend listeners, is now the time? Yes, we should. Good point. It's well overdue, this. Dylan Baker. We just didn't want to step on Adam's dick and we didn't want you to have the spotlight shared because your contribution to our enjoyment this year is also absolutely incredible. He's been a really good... Like women's matches, we won't put two thank yous on a single podcast. No, exactly. (laughs) Dylan Baker, lovely guy, long-time supporter, really, really supportive of what we do. Uh, I think he's defended us when we've come in for Flack Mm. on Twitter. He's just a genuinely, really sound dude. So we just want to thank you very much for the gift that you imparted to us. Unbelievable stuff, man. Uh, many Gregs will be purchased with this lovely gift. Uh, he sent it to us. A little note that reads, Enjoy a few January lunches on me, guys. Thanks for the hours and hours of entertainment. Never doubt you three are the absolute... Sorry, where am I? Manners. Never doubt you three are the absolute best in... This winner! Thank you, Dylan, so much. It really does mean a lot. Um... Lovely, lovely of you to, to, to give us this gift. And uh, yeah, many, uh, it look like, looks like, looks like pasty bets are back on the menu, boys. <laughs> Dylan funded all our in-office gambling for the next month. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've still got another bet to sort out. Still on the, God, got lots to cram in. Yeah. We should probably just skip to the main event. But then again, we're not the only show. show. Anyway, uh, JAS come out. Uh, they're all there and they're matching gold jackets and they do the big turn together. And Sid, everyone's thinking the same thing. Where are the ladders? <laughs> I can't imagine how you're feeling. Like Jericho always insists on the second lead for the Judas Chorus, even now as a heel, and you're like, like slashing the throat. Like, just shoot one and what it did. It I woke up at four a.m. <clears throat> so this was through uh, like an hour after the show ended in real time. So I had it on delay on Fight TV. I skipped through the entire segment just to see how little comparatively I was going to get of Escalera de la Muerte. So I resented this before I knew, oh, right, you can get a 15-minute sprint here. I was looking at this. Like, Let's not forget, as Adam pointed out, one hour, 13 minutes, 18 seconds of a two-hour show. That's when the women come out. That finishes, until we talk about this in the office, Sitch, and I went, oh, cool. Well, looking at the clock and knowing what the main event is and all that that's got riding on it, I guess the JAS are going to be backstage and they're going to do a fireball or something or piss off Tony Giovanni for two minutes. When they start making their entrance, I was like, you do know this, the best of seven finish, haven't you? That was was cross. But thankfully, the content... Oh, no. Uh, Jericho (laughs) says what a huge week it's been for the JAS showing up at the uh, Battle of Los Angeles, PWG, of course. Uh, mentioned the street fight on Friday, which we'll, of course, preview on the Rampage preview tomorrow with me and Sige. Uh And he talked about sending Action Andretti back to the minor leagues and ending the Ricky Starks experiment. And this, of course, brings out Ricky Starks and Action Andretti. Um, 
Stark said, look, we're still here. We're still standing. He looked great, obviously. Um, Jericho called, compares Andretti to little orphan Oliver. Um, and Andretti says, shut up or I'll shove your baseball bat up your ass. God. Uh, well, save that for in a second because Daniel Garcia starts firing back. and The one good bit. Garcia gets a line here. It's really good. And uh, Andretti says, oh, I didn't realise that your babysitter is letting you speak. And then, I'm baffling this. Then he says, Sammy, how are you supposed to keep control of Daniel Garcia when you can't even keep control of your wife? What the hell was that? You can't control where your wife hands go, wife's hands go. Those week, last week, those hands were right between my legs. Right on my gag. Absolutely pathetic. Absolutely prehistoric rubbish. Yeah. Uh, the misogyny. I, we do ladies' night. There is a misogynistic undercurrent to this company that repulses me. Genuinely, it does. It, like, paints such a bad picture of, like, the locker room. Always thought, like, the, the bro-y feeling of the locker room is when it, like, exposes itself on screen. It feels so ugly. Like, we're a long way removed from the idea of, like, it's, like, the most fun place in the world. Locker, it's a wrestling locker room like any other wrestling locker room. But you just, it just, WWE, WWE, like, and, like, yeah, I'm thinking the crowd that covers the low bar, blah, 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 would not let this stuff stand. Like, this pretty grim dialogue. And, like, they'll allow a lot of stuff on screen. But somebody in that room is wise enough to... They're selling up to the Saudis, though, mate. Oh, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> not putting them on a platform. I'm just saying, like, in terms of, like, what the characters yeah, actually yeah. say. Within the fiction, you know, within the fiction, how are you supposed to take these characters? Babyface doesn't fire off a line like that. Anymore. No, it's a, such a heel line these days. Yeah. Such a, like, a 15-year-old boy line as well. That's why certain heels can get away with it. Was it when oh, Seth... Oh, your ma! Was it when, like, Baron Corbin was giving it to Seth about, like, oh, like... Uh, Something along the lines of uh, maybe I should just like fight your girlfriend instead. And Seth was like, yeah, all right, she'd kick your ass as well. Yeah. It was a terrible program, but at least they got the yeah. like, dynamics correct. In oh, I was so cross with this. The one thing I really liked was Daniel Garcia. Awesome. shaming of take on two. Oh, God. Like, and they do that. It's that horrible wrestling thing, isn't it? Where like, no, nah, they're probably laughing about it backstage. She would have consented to it. It was fine. I don't it's care. Not the point. It's not the point. And like you. I thought it was going to be a bit. When he started lean, I could see where it was going. And I thought it was going to be something about. Sammy Guevara and getting engaged to someone else, and then and then it was just like, no, you can't control your wife or her hands. And I was like, what are you on about? There's a bit where Daniel Garcia that I just really liked, where he's like, I remember when I was like you, young guy in this business, <laughs> and like he's younger than actually Andretti now. Like I was like when he was a dumb young pro wrestler. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Garcia says, "Shut up." Yeah, I'm, I'm on top of the world as a sports entertainer. Ricky says, "Muzzle the little boy." Uh, doesn't matter about Count Succular or Jazzhole 1 or 2. Not charming this week. Strange that. Mm. Like, not charming at all. No. Maybe they should have... Uh, no. He says, anyway, Jericho, move aside. This was shot quite nicely, to be fair. And he says, get out of the way so I can talk yeah, to you. It would be a great shot of that uh, majestic invisible wall. And what a fabulously disappointing payoff when Jericho did move. Oh, it's Jericho, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got Stone Cold Steve Austin behind him or something, is it? That's that big lummox again. Gilligan in the hat is the technical term he used. He said, you're a dumb purple helmeted idiot. Uh, you went from the top. Of Wait a minute. Was he referring to his bucket hat or something else? Sid? I think he was referring to his goddamn cat. Ah. Oh, I get it now. Uh, he said he'd gone from top athlete to village idiot, and he's still got that stupid lisp. Uh, so I want you next week. And I think, 
maybe this is going to get booked. Um, <laughs> farcical scenes this. This is your big LA new set where a legit major league outfit. Watch us start WWE. And they do this. <laughs> what are you thinking? Poor Excalibur sent out there to jump on the landmine. That's right, Tony can't confirm that. We just had the graphic time minutes ago. They're our rivals. <laughs> and as well, it's like... Amateur hour, this. I always got the channel, like, when Ross tells me he's going to be a Discovery Channel. Oh, my God. Who wants to watch that? <laughs> That's what I feel about Rick Starks and Jake Hager. Hager says, I like this hat. And uh, One hour, 41 minutes on the fight feed, I was furious. <laughs> He says, uh, one of my hats, Where though. Where are the ladders? <laughs> an Imagine the stuff that even Chris Jericho would bin after a week. Even Jericho would bin after a week. Jake Hager runs it for a year. And that's uh, ridiculous. Right, I want an inanimate object in there, but a ladder, not Jake Hager. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying to Phil <laughs> this morning, I was like, you reckon TK's had a bit of buyer's remorse for Jake Hager? And he's like, how can I make my money back? And he's just gone, I don't know, merch, just make him sell purple hats and charge 50 bucks for him or something. I don't, anyway, he says, one of my hats is as an undefeated MMA fighter. Uh, I can see you got balls. I can see you got the breaths. Uh, <laughs> next week, I'm going to slap your face off your face. Uh, and Ricky says, well, I'll do you one better next week and fix that speech impediment. And I'm, I'm, that is, I'm saying this looking at the clock. So ugly. It's a bit harsh. That's really harsh. Yeah, that's so, like, there's so much you can take the piss out of Jake Hager for in terms of his wrestling character, the fact that he bullied Greta Thunberg on, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, the dangerous, guy's, dangerous thing to do that as well, going yeah. after yeah. Greta on socials. Guy's a bit of a moron. Guy's belief systems, you know, well, climate change is real. Don't be an arsehole. And uh, his wrestling characters are completely doofus as well. Don't, Alienate some people in Just your so fan base. Just get his absolute catchphrase over. It's ridiculous, yeah. and that was one of the least offensive things on this rotten misogynist, misogynistic, invisible wall segment. That time was wasting. Don't forget time wasting, like so unnecessary. And the and like all the insults were lame. It was a WWE segment with the invisible wall. Jericho needs to get told stop doing this. And uh, Jesus Christ, I describe this as. I was ready to just join the party. Dynamite, LA, look at this ridiculous card. And this was the unwelcome guest at the party that you just want to get away from and into a different room. This was person- This was literally for me, considering what, what's to come, when are they going to get to the fireworks factory? Yeah, like, come on, please, please, please be over, please be over, please be over, please be over, please be over. Come on, we get yet- out of that ring <laughs> I said we got the return that's what I said that's what I said <laughs> it was your face as you said it as well it about like morning daddy girl I was furious watching this it was so unwelcome that I man. wanted nothing less than to watch this in this moment that's... and I've been the Chris Jericho apologist I'm the one who really tries to reiterate right he's going to do the action Andretti match after the Bad promo that he's going to do. <laughs> he does the Ishii match. Some of his stuff's absolute banter. Have perspective and don't be a goldfish. Think of the last three months of his career and what he's done and how amazing it is at that age and after all of his ideas should have ran dry. Oh, I have some perspective about Chris Jericho. The guy needs to do another reinvention now. I'm sick of it. Oh, Ricky Starks versus Jake Hager. Ricky Starks and Action Andretti against Sammy Guevara and Daniel Garcia and the heels might not get along. Uh, I'm sick of it. I don't want to see any of this. I don't. I think everyone involved is really, really talented. I don't want to see any of this. I just don't. I can't be asked. 
yeah, the contrast between getting two of 2021's most familiar faces, Adam Cole and awful Chris Jericho. <laughs> I can know which one I preferred. <laughs> I just, just don't know why I just teleported myself to your house. The only way this could have got worse is if this segment had fin- finished and one of your kids was like, Dad, and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> anyway, main event time. It feels like a raw review. We're finally at the main event. <laughs> the Elite versus... Imagine saying that yesterday. The Elite versus Death Triangle. You did say, I don't know if you put some in the preview. You did say in the office that you were a little bit scared of where uh, this dynamite could go wrong, and it did. That kind of became true. Yeah. All the best ones on paper are not as good as you think they're going to be. Uh, Elite versus Death Triangle, uh, final match in the best of seven for the AW Trios titles, Escalera de la Muerte, or as we called it, Escalate de la Moca. Just to remind everyone, who did he, who did each of you have? I had the Elite winning. I had Death Triangle winning. And I want a coffee. <laughs> and I found one of those buy seven coffees, get your eighth card, free cards in Hunter and I was so relieved. I was like, oh God. <laughs> Every Cedric, it's Cedric Bet Day. Um... Unsurprisingly, with whatever it was, 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it was, including an ad break to go, they didn't mess about in this match. It was just ridiculous spot after... I was going to say banger after banger, but ridiculous spot after ridiculous spot, which popped the... You didn't know what... you could. The cameras can barely keep up with these lads anyway, but especially when they're doing the sort of... Well, the match are all in, I suppose, a little bit. It can be comparable to. Yeah, when they were but like, better. We've, 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 the timing's gone all wrong. Everything you're going to do, do it twice as fast and in. Yeah. So, I'm not, I'll, no, no doubt I will miss some ridiculous spot in this, but go and watch it and then listen to our, our thoughts on it. Uh, Dueling backstabbers by Penta and Mac. Pack and Penta hit a slingshot cut of Phoenix. It's a top rope frog splash on Matt Jackson. Phoenix clears a ladder that's being held by Penta and Pack and takes out Omega with a dive. Nick Jackson drop kicks the ladder. Matt sets up one in the ring and takes out Penta with a running destroyer. Phoenix cuts Matt off on the ladder. Springboard arm drag. Uh, Omega hits the Lucha Bros with Snapdragons. Pack cuts him off. He hits him with a Snapdragon. Cuts Omega off, that is. Yeah, hits him with a Snapdragon. Uh, he goes with a Terminator dive, but Pack just moves. And Omega goes through a table. So then Matt Jackson cross-bodies Pack off the top through a table. Penta tries to take out Matt, backdrop uh, onto a setup ladder. Phoenix cuts Nick off from doing a springboard, hits a top rope Hurricane Rana that sends Nick, well, they said this on commentary, hamstring first into the ladder. Uh, that's the worst spot of the night for me. I hated that. It looked horrible. It looked better for going wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he broke his ass. He broke his ass. Uh, Omega goes to get a ladder, but Pack stomps his fingers between it. So Omega goes to the one-winged angel, but Pat counters into a poison rana. There's a fear factor on Omega. Phoenix hits a spinning dive onto Nick Jackson outside. The Bucks hit super kicks to Pack and Penta. Phoenix comes flying in. Matt hits a Northern Lights, well, the series of Northern Lights, the last one of them being on a ladder. Pat gets, uh, sorry, Penta gets set on the table outside, and Nick hits a 450 splash through it. Matt goes for the titles, but the ladder gets tipped over, and it's Alex Abrahantes uh, who's done it. Brandon Cutler comes in and uses the cold spray. <laughs> Omega V-triggers Alex Abrahantes' head off. Uh, head off. Uh, Omega goes <laughs> up top. Pack hits his hand with a hammer uh, and hits a falcon arrow on the floor. Pack goes up. Matt stops him. The Lucha Bros, whilst they're fighting on the top, uh, set up a like a ladder into the from the ladder a to bridge. the bridge. Yeah, bridge to the thank you for the to the middle rope. Penta climbs up and hits a fear factor. Uh, on Matt Jackson onto the ladder bridge. 
Phoenix goes to the belts. Omega stops him. Hits a one-winged angel off the ladder. Oh, my God. Pat goes to the Black Arrow. Omega gets his knees up. Omega goes up top, grabs the titles, and the Elite win the trio's belts back. <sighs> I wanted three extra minutes on this. Yes. Because it really could have ended the conversation for what are the all-time great TV matches, right? This was like a four-and-a-half to a four-and-three-quarter star match in an absolutely amazing sprint. And I'll go into why it was so amazing very briefly, but I do want to get that complaint out of the way. The hand stuff, as soon as I saw that, I thought that is so clever, especially because he has to retrieve the belt and he has to use that to execute the one-winged angel. So clever, so Kenny Omega, and they didn't exploit or maximize the drama as much as they could have because... Either the show ran long or they simply weren't allocated enough time for that story to be told mm -hmm. to its truest. They could have done this incredible sprint, right? And then done the three minutes at the end where it's like, how could he do it with his hand? I wanted to ask that question, but I never really feel like I got asked it enough. How can he do this with what's happened to his hand? It was such a genius idea that they criminally underexplored because of the time constraints. I was furious at 1 hour 41. Now, one hour 46, I was losing my mind because that's how good these guys are. <laughs> like, I understand that the style, especially having seen it six matches full before this point, might numb people or whatever. But even by their standards, I thought this was incredible work. Like, it was so intricate and complex and so many moving parts, and yet they telegraphed none of it. I don't know how they'd do it. I thought it was absolutely stunning. And they'd obviously saved this, like warp speed execution for the last two matches. Like, that Canadian Destroyer from Matt Jackson to Penta, it looked like, you know, when I see a Catherine wheel going absolutely <laughs> mental, I was like, how have they done that that quickly and that fast? It was absolutely incredible. The Nick Jackson spot, which I think you somehow missed, but there was just so Sorry. much. He climbed, he sprinted up the ladder. Oh, yeah. Ladder, springboard, twisting dive, and the impact wasn't one of those flimsy, I'll catch you and lower you down. It was still right into Phoenix's body. This is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Like the speed, the timing, the drama, the violence, the sequencing, the fact that you couldn't see the wires. Unbelievable for what it was. Not what I wanted, really. Because I wanted an epic, not a sprint. Yeah. Got the best, one of the best possible trio sprints you'll ever see. But I think the culmination of the story deserved the, that five minutes to dwell in it. Yeah, I couldn't have more admiration for what they did, but I felt nout for any of it. On, like nothing. I uh, I would classify this as like the high spot version of a Triple H Raw match. The only thing he does is make, has them go 20 to kill time. These, <laughs> these were forced to fill their match with the remaining time they had. I just felt nout for out in any of this. And like I wanted, um, as a minimum, something along the line. Like ladder matches are, we've talked a lot at length about how ladder matches have been bastardized, but this was going to be something different and it was something different in planning if not in execution I just it didn't feel epic it didn't feel like the payoff to the series some of that was not their fault but I question if it was ever going to be I'm just a low guy on them I, again I said this at the start of the podcast I don't want them to stop trying these things as television feasts but I don't think they work like there's so many more examples of it not working the way it should on television versus why these t things tend to go on pay-per-views. I'm not suggesting that you go down the WWE route and just deprive, 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 and very occasionally deliver. 
But I got now out of this. I think, like, I understand that the Punk one can go different ways for people. I adored the Force Count Anywhere match. I think that I think that might be my favourite of the whole series. It's fair play for me, like for me personally, hitting out of the park at match number six. That's hard going. Mm. But I think really this series only pretty much got worse. Like, I think that the Force Count Anywhere was special and different, but I don't think they ever came anywhere near as close to the, in terms of everything, in terms of not just being a spot fest, not just being, oh my God, he just did that with his body, but telling a really fantastic intricate story as well. I don't think it ever got as good as Full Gear. And, like, I would I, I would classify this as a huge disappointment, truthfully. I was really, really disappointed with this, and I'd, I feel bad placing that on the shoulders of the wrestlers. The hand stuff, Cedric's absolutely nailed it there. Like, what I was watching was... An inability out of their hands, no pun intended, to tell the story that was intended to be told because Kenny wasn't slow climbing for slow climbing sake. He didn't have time to slow climb. I've got to get up there. But like he was trying to sell that the grabbing of the belt, the grasping of the belt with the fingers that were mangled with a hammer that you kind of didn't even really have the time to register on. Uh, I like, I got this gave me a lot of those. We used to like practically have like medical fights about this back in 2019, but this was like a picture of the dynamite tag division that I could not be arsed with in the early days. Like, I don't want to call it indulgent because the, I felt the all-out thing as well. Like, I kind of admire mm. the Young Bucks' ability to be like, well, we're just going to put ourselves on times two and do it anyway. Like, fair play, but this wasn't... Like, I'll never watch this again. I'm watching it tonight. Now that I know what I'm getting, I'm going to watch it tonight. I, I, like, I, this is going to sound... Like such bad, like I'm worried it's laser beams going to come out of Sidgwick's eyes when I say this. When I say what I'm about to say, like I have fonder memories and thought genuinely, Men's Iron Survivor was a better ladder match than this. Like I felt stuff. Right, but that was different gravy, to be fair. <laughs> what what I'm saying is, like again, because I don't want this to come across like bad faith or whatever. Like that was laid out in a way that gave the wrestlers the chance to tell the story they were mm. supposed to tell, and this wasn't. This was not. And I, ju- I just felt nothing like a lot of awesome, much like Dylan Baker's vouch is going to allow us a lot of empty calories, tons of them. Don't <laughs> bury Baker's. Nice, like it's going great. I'm going. I'm going to enjoy the dinner off that more than I enjoyed this match. I'm going to feel more for the sandwich. I appropriately, um, kind of in between both camps. I think I was watching this. A going bloody hell. They should have been given so much more. I completely agree. They should more than three minutes for me. Like ten, oh, at least three, like, I, that's my realistic yeah. TV head. That's my yeah. realistic TV head. Um, and uh, you know, just astonished by what they can pull off. Like you say, it's ridiculous um, in a good way. And there were parts of this where I thought I should be feeling more, and I like I could picture you leaping. You know, having watched you yeah. watching Omega Osprey together, picture you reacting to it. And I, I'm sat there thinking I should be feeling more about this. I wanted then, to feel the pain in Kenny's hand. And mm. then, was it Nick or Matt who took the hamstring? Nick. Nick. That. I was like, bloody hell! Yeah. And then the one-winged angel off the ladder. So I did feel more than you did, for example, but I wasn't quite to the level you were. And, yeah, it, it was a culmination. I don't know. I don't know whether, like you say, it's Chris Jericho should have took a f- week off. Yeah. I don't know. what. It, I think with more time, maybe I'd have felt it. the, the epicness of it all. And I don't know whether it's just because we've seen six of these matches, not this match, obviously, but six. I, think I do get the complaints. Yeah. I do, I do. I also don't think there's a, I know I'm the low guy in the trios, and I think Sid is probably the high one. So again, I think we're contrasting sides here. I'm still not quite sure of the clarity of the vision of the trios division. Like the elite tell big stories, and that's why people love them. What is, is this a division of big stories and elite, or is it bang, 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 car crash matches? Like I don't think there's loads of stories in the set. I don't. I don't think the best seven series is iron that kink out personally. Loads of stories. I really like. There's been story packed into it. I really like it if 
immediate, not immediately as in next week, as in at the pay, for example, House of Black take the titles off them. I like the idea that they've worked so hard. They've gone through this complete ordeal with the Death Triangle. And House of Black have been like, well, we've just been, yeah. you know, tr- killing, pe- killing people in the background. Cutting people, killing people. Yeah. And they just come in and go, well, thanks for putting your body through that. But one match, that's the rules. I think that'd Brody, be better. If, get them. <laughs> that'd be better if that was like next week, though. Maybe, yeah. Like in wrestler terms, you've got quite a lot of rehab now between now and Revolution. I still think after this best of seven, it's not going to take yeah. a week to more than a week, uh, less than a week. Yeah. To. But anyway, yeah, uh, uh, an eventful dynamite. I'd love to know your thoughts. I'm going to rack that. up the coffee when he keeps saying the elite are going to lose the titles. It's just because you want them to doesn't mean they are. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to. I was thinking that when you were saying I wasn't like, so high on this. I was like, is it because you lost a coffee to it? Is that why? I'm not going to gamble on this sort of thing anymore because the only thing the young books apparently do with EVPs now is put themselves over. So I'm on to a loser every time. Right, let's know your thoughts. On Twitter, at WhatCultureWWE. Uh, watch there, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflet at... Michael Hamflet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. And if you echo Sidgwick's views about these EVPs, you can read a book all about AEW called... Well... 120,000 Passionate and Insightful Words. That's not the name of the book, it's a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> All about the four de- formation and indeed rise of AEW, and henceforth, hence why it's called. <laughs> Go to Amazon. <laughs> I've got it. Uh, Type in Becoming yeah. All Elite, The Rise of AEW, and buy my book. It's really, really good, I think, and I worked very, very hard it on it. It is great, mate. Excellent. Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW, available <laughs> wherever you are in the world on Amazon. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including, of course, me and Sitch tomorrow previewing this red play. But for now, this has been the Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. Thanks once again to Adam Blair at Adam Wilton for and the lovely Dylan Baker for all their very generous uh, gifts. The bounty! <laughs> This has been the Dynamite Review. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.